I'm Fraser, and this is the Mum Says It's My Turn podcast. I'm glad you're all here for the first proper episode. Uh, Winnie the dog is also back, although he is asleep. So I may have to find a better co-host. But for now, you can listen to him snoring. So we're in a new-ish year. We had some great movies and games in 2023, and there's some great ones coming down the pipe in 2024 as well. I'm going to talk in this episode about some of my highlights from 2023, and then next episode we'll take a look at 2024. I did see a lot of great films in 2023, and I played a lot of great games, um, and I'm excited to tell you a little bit about some of them. So... I think it's fair to say in 2023 that the movie industry was still reeling a little bit from the pandemic. Combine that with writers and actors strikes in 2023, you know, there's been some disruption. Um, That being said, there were some definite gems out there. Barbenheimer was the big cinematic event of the year, um, which was obviously hugely exciting following, you know, a couple of years of slow movie releases because of the pandemic to have two huge budget movies release on the same day was um, was super exciting. So I, I saw Oppenheimer at the cinema. I was a little later to the Barbie party, but I did really, uh, I enjoyed both of them immensely. Um, let's talk about Barbie first. So I think potentially Barbie was a victim of its own hype which in fairness, it was probably the most well-marketed film that there's been that I can remember, you know, in some years. It was expertly marketed and generated a ton of hype. Um, So potentially a little bit of a victim of being massively overhyped. Then again, it was a very, very good movie. I think there was um, certainly some important lessons in there. I think probably... The people who need to learn those lessons the most are probably the people who are the least likely to enjoy this movie, which is, you know, it is what it is. Um, But I, you know, I definitely think the movie said some really important things, but did it in a way that was really entertaining and really funny. I don't want to be the guy that says the best part about (laughs) a feminist iconic movie was a guy in it, but I do think that Ryan Gosling was potentially born to play Ken. I think he absolutely killed that role. He was sublime, as he would say. (laughs) My best Ryan Gosling impression. Um, But overall, uh, uh, an amazing movie and I think a good, I don't know, a good innings from Greta Gerwig to show you know, that she can bring in a ton of money because that movie brought in a ton of money. I really, really liked the level of production, especially on the scenes in Barbie land. I thought how they how they made all that look and especially how they like a lot of the gags to do with the fact that it was like Barbies <laughs> in real world. Things like, um, I'm trying to think of them now, you know, when they would drink a drink Nothing would actually come out of the glass. There was never any liquid in the glasses. And and the shower as well. When they turn the shower on, there's no water comes out. All of these things. I thought that was all very seamlessly and even subtly done. Like some of the some of the gags they don't draw a huge amount of attention to, which I think is really great. It's a very confident filmmaking. And I think that that made those scenes in the movie um, really enjoyable. 
And also Margot Robbie, who just embodies Barbie so expertly and probably gives a career-defining performance, I would say. Managing the emotional highs and lows of this movie, you know, the comedic high points with the emotional low points, doing it in a way that's kind of tasteful, but also funny, but also serious. I think she kind of nails it across the board. So all in all, I thought it was a really great movie. Like I said, I saw Oppenheimer on the big screen when it came out, and I really enjoyed that as well. Um, I've been a big fan of Christopher Nolan for a good while now. I think he is great at creating a blockbuster. I think I think it's not unfair to say that Nolan has some quirks as a filmmaker. I know a lot of people who critique him talk about his over-reliance on exposition, which if that doesn't make sense to you, it's basically where he moves the plot along just by kind of characters explaining the movie to each other. I think probably Tenet was a very good example of that happening. Um, so potentially just the more complicated the movie is, the more exposition you're going to get. Um, in Oppenheimer, obviously we're talking about a very complicated subject. There's a lot of exposition that needs to happen. I think potentially it was buried a little better in Oppenheimer than it was in some of his other movies. Um, so kind of respect for that. I'm I'm not the only person who said this as well, but I felt like the first half of that movie went by so quickly. It gave me whiplash, which I think comes down a lot to editing and, and the pacing of the movie. I think potentially uh, Nolan was worried about it being a three and a half hour movie and feeling super long. Um, and it certainly didn't, uh, although it was potentially a little bit too fast. And on the on the length of the movie, why why do cinemas not do intermissions anymore? This is an aside, but I love when cinemas do intermissions for long movies. Chance to go and get some more popcorn, all those great things. Why don't we do it? I feel like it would be a win-win for everyone. I think the last movie I saw with an intermission actually was Hateful Eight, which is a Tarantino banger. Um, and actually really cleverly done. And I'm so sure that he planned the intermission when he wrote the screenplay. I can't remember. I have read the screenplay for that movie. I can't remember if he wrote in the intermission. But there's a really good bit after the intermission where the voiceover says, it's been 15 minutes since blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. They've literally written the intermission into the script. So if you run a cinema out there, intermissions, let's bring them back. Anyway, now award season is underway. It looks like Oppenheimer is going to do pretty well. So the Golden Globes happened not that long ago and it did very well there, picking up Best Drama Motion Picture, Best Director for Chris Nolan, Killian Murphy won Best Actor, Robert Downey Jr. won Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Score went to Ludwig Göransson. So kind of cleaned house there, to be honest. Um, and I think deservedly so. Another film that I saw and liked was Napoleon. That was another big release from last year from Ridley Scott. An interesting movie. It was a lot of movie. I think the thing about Ridley Scott movies is the set pieces are always amazing. The big fight scenes in that film and, you know, the very grand French manor houses. Everything about it was very, like, big budget, which considering the budget of $200 million dollars, you kind of, I think you actually do get your money's worth um, in that movie. It's not a gladiator. They never explicitly marketed it as 
a gladiator-esque movie. But it, I think it was implied that it would be kind of of a similar ilk. Um, and it wasn't really. It was a, a lot, I think, of a slower movie, a more brooding movie. Another big movie from 2023 was Killers of the Flower Moon. A super interesting story that I ashamedly had never heard anything about before. Um, a brief synopsis would be, um, and this I didn't know, essentially the Osage people, which were an indigenous American people group, were moved around by the American government several times in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and were eventually settled on a plot of land that, as it turns out, was abundant with oil. And so this, um, the Osage people became incredibly, incredibly wealthy. And it, the film actually starts by saying that um, in the early 1900s, the film is set in the 1920s, just after the Great War. At that time, the Osage people were the richest people group per capita in the world, <laughs> just to give you an idea of just how rich they were. And essentially, there's a lot of people that are coming in and are potentially trying to leech off them or steal their money basically so really interesting true story which i had never heard before it was very scorsese-esque i think which is great because i love him as a filmmaker it was a sad story but not depressing which i think comes down to scorsese's way of filmmaking you know his his approach is very kind of peppy it's very fun and cheeky which i think comes across and helps tell this story in a way that doesn't just completely bum you out um one thing i do love about scorsese and this is a theory i have with the younger more junior directors they don't they can't get away with doing whatever they want right there's a there's generally a lot more studio oversight if you if you have not proven yourself with Martin Scorsese, I can't imagine studios are giving him a ton of feedback, which means he can do kind of whatever he wants, I think, when he's making a film, or at least he has more creative freedom. And something that he does a lot is he lays a ton of groundwork for his movies. He spends ages kind of setting the stage and introducing the characters, and not in a way that feels slow or tedious, but actually in a way that feels really fun and and kind of builds the momentum for the film, but really takes him takes his time doing it, which he did in this film, and I I thought was absolutely great. So definitely a really interesting movie. Probably not one I'll rush back to see again, but definitely one that's worth watching at least once. Again, another absolute mammoth of a film, something like three hours and forty minutes long. So uh, in desperate need of a, an intermission there as well. Coming back to the Golden Globes, actually, for a second, uh, there were a few TV shows which also were great in 2023. I know that The Bear won a few awards, which was a show we were completely obsessed with. To be honest, if you haven't seen The Bear at this point, you know, you need to you need to fix that. You need to go out and watch it now. It is absolutely the one of the most fun shows to watch uh, around at the moment. It's a funny one to get into because I think I think most of season one is actually quite stressful to watch. It's very like high octane. It's very much trying to like emulate that stressful kitchen experience where it's lots of fast cuts, as in <laughs> editing cuts as opposed to chopping. Um, although there's a lot of fast chopping as well. 
you know, there's a lot of people shouting over each other. It's all very tense and stressful. As it gets into season two, it mellows out a little bit and you get some very satisfying character arcs. Um, you do still get some stressful moments. You know, you've got the episode Fishes, which is just bubbling tension from start to finish. And then the episode Forks, which is probably one of the most satisfying episodes of television I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say one of the most satisfying episodes of television I've ever watched, but it was definitely up there. Um, a great episode where one of the characters, Richie, has this sort of wonderful redemption arc. Olivia Coleman was there. You know, we all had a great time. It was wonderful. Those two episodes, by the way, 9.7 stars out of 10 for Forks and 9.6 stars out of 10 for Fishes on IMDb. Um, so if you haven't watched that show yet, get on it, go out and watch it. I think as far as I can tell, it has been renewed for another season. So I'm super excited for when that comes back around. Uh, and they're only 20 minute or something episodes. It's so easy to watch. Just do it. Stop listening to this podcast now and go and watch the bear. No, don't do it later. I actually really want to visit the restaurant in the show um, is based on a real live restaurant in chicago called uh mr beef so if i'm ever out in chicago way you can guarantee i'm gonna go go check that place out i think they even shot a bunch of the scenes there as well um at the golden globes succession also picked up a handful of awards which are also very well deserved the final season of that having been released in 2023 which was also extremely good it's funny it's another one they kind of per episode give you someone with just enough credibility to latch on to um and root for but then by the next episode they're you know backstabbing someone and it's all very <laughs> all very depressing and miserable but but yeah i really loved succession um obviously that's been out for a little while but if you haven't seen that yet uh then make sure you do because that was also extremely good sad for that to be over but also got to respect a show that knows when it's time to lower the curtain so fair play to them for that it was actually i think it was a really good year for tv across the board i we also finished watching the final series of the crown in 2023 and i was thinking that the writing of some of the better tv shows at least is really at an incredibly high level right now you know, lots of shows with really, really good writing. And if you look at some of the woes that the movie industry is facing right now with dud releases and lackluster box office earnings, I think they can all be traced back to just bad writing. I think a perfect example of this is the last movie of the year that I watched, which was not a great note to finish on, the newest Hunger Games movie, A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Now, I'm not ashamed to admit that I was actually a, a huge fan of the Hunger Games movies, the original ones. Um, you know, I thought they were a little cheesy in some places, a little um, kiddie in, in some respects. But overall, I thought they were well-made movies. They were well-acted. The characters all made sense and they were, you know, fun. Maybe not great cinema, but definitely great popcorn movies. And frankly, movies I come back to and watch not irregularly, like once every other day or so. However, A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was not was not up there. 
The characters are generally unlikable and their motivations don't make any sense. It glossed over, I think, some important world building. I felt like the movie could have been a really cool um, exploration into like how Pan Am came to be from, you know, what was the ashes of America, you know, how how that whole system was developed. Instead, we got like a bizarre backstory into Donald Sutherland's character that didn't even end with him being anything like how he's presented in the Hunger Games movies, which take place 50 years on. What I'm not that interested in is how Donald Sutherland's character kind of had moody teenage years. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but I think all in all, it was such a shame because I think this had the potential to be a very fun movie. And like I say, potentially indicative of a general lack of creativity and good writing within the industry. These issues are not exclusive to the movie industry. I think the video games industry potentially faces some of those issues as well. However, I am going to start by talking about some great releases in the video games world in 2023. So Spider-Man 2 was a big release this year. I played the 2004 version of Spider-Man 2, um, which was based on the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. And I sunk a lot of hours into that game. And this latest Spider-Man 2, I think, is an even more iconic game. Developed by Insomniac Games, it's scored very high across the board, with 98% of critics recommending it, according to Open Critic. It also sold 2.5 million copies in its first 24 hours and another 2.5 million copies in the 10 days that follows, which I guess proves that if done well, those recognizable franchises are still super lucrative. Um, and that's kind of the clincher though, right? Spider-Man 2 is an inherently fun and good game. It doesn't just rely on the intellectual property to be successful. Another big highlight from 2023 was Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3 was developed by Larian Studios. And if you haven't heard of it or played it, it's a fantasy RPG with turn-based combat with several elements taken from Dungeons & Dragons. If you're thinking, I don't remember them releasing a Baldur's Gate 1 or 2, well, that's because the last installment in the series was released over 20 years ago. Um, so they're bringing that long lost but very loved franchise uh, back from the dead it also has a highly flexible non-linear storyline which makes it super fun to play again and again and it's also an an enormous game critically it did even better than spider-man 2 with 99 percent of critics recommending it according to open critic and it also won the coveted game of the year at the game awards I had a little look. It's a little hard to pin down specific sales figures, but it seems to be that they sold anywhere from 5 million to 22 million copies of that game. Either way, a lot of money has been made. And honestly, good for them because you can tell that a lot of love and effort went into making this game. A couple of great AAA releases aside, I think the video games industry is potentially also suffering a few of the same woes as the movie industry 
in that there's potentially a slight lack of creativity, maybe a, too much of a focus on just like making money and, and less about creating something amazing. I think titles like Modern Warfare 3 come to mind, um, which still made a lot of money, but I think it was not very well <laughs> received upon launch. Um, also, that feels like there's a bit of a disconnect between what the studios are developing and what it is the customers actually want. A good example of that would be something like Starfield, which was a brand new um, intellectual property from Bethesda, the guys that made Fallout and um, the Elder Scrolls games that everyone was super excited for, but just felt like a bit of a swing and a miss when it was actually released. I think the difference, though, in the games industry compared to the films industry is that independent and smaller publishers do way more of the heavy lifting. Um, some of the best games I played in 2023 were indie titles. So I'll talk about a few of those now. First on my list here is Blasphemous 2. So Blasphemous 2 was a follow-up to the absolutely stunning game Blasphemous, developed by the Game Kitchen. Both games are based heavily on a sort of version of Catholic fantasy dialed all the way up to 11. That's the best way I can describe it. You play as a silent character called the Penitent One, with the events taking place a few hundred years or several hundred years after the events of the first game. And the first game was massive for an indie title. So it's no surprise really that the developers wanted to follow up on that success. I was interested actually while I was researching this game to learn that where most studios would reuse a lot of original code from you know the first game in a series, especially if mechanically they're intended to be very similar, the Game Kitchen actually built the second game from the ground up, presumably to fix any quirks that were shipped with the original game. The, the developers actually documented production of both games in a reasonable level of detail, um, which is a super interesting watch. You can find that on YouTube. I think it's also a good window into how insane video game development can be sometimes, especially, you know, for independent studios. I think I'm not alone in saying that I don't think the second installment was quite as good as the first. Um, and I wish perhaps that it had followed on from the first game a little more. It felt like kind of two detached stories, um, but I still absolutely binged it and consider it a highlight for the year for sure. Another great indie game I played in 2023 was a game called Dredge. Now, you know how all of the best games, all of the best games have their own fishing mini game in them, right? Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking Minecraft, um, Final Fantasy, Red Dead Redemption 2, Jack and Daxter, Hades, I think one of the Far Cry games, Zelda, Stardew Valley. You get the idea. Basically, if you've got a fishing mini game in your game, then you know it's going to be good. So now imagine a game that is built around fishing mini games. Make it a Lovecraftian survival horror game and you've got Dredge. It's absolutely one of my favorite games of the year. The kind of game where five minutes in and you're just like, oh yeah, this this is going to be good. Like just in terms of the ambience and the the mood and the music, all of it comes together to create an amazing 
experience, I think. Critically, I was actually surprised it didn't do better, but it does have an overwhelmingly positive rating on Steam with 96% of players recommending it. It's not a particularly deep game. It's probably about 20 hours of gameplay um, total, but it does have a couple of expansions. So if you want to go beyond the base game, then you absolutely can do that. But it's a hard recommend from me. And another game which I have to mention, I think, is Cocoon. So Cocoon was an interesting game. It really took me back to like late PS1, early PS2 era adventure puzzle games. Um, It's really satisfying. I'll try and explain it. Okay, see if you can follow along. You play as a sort of bug man. And you know the philosophical concept of a universe being inside something as small as a marble, right? Well, it's kind of like that. You're inside a marble universe, but you can also get out of the marble and carry it around on your back. And the marbles give you magic powers and you can go inside one marble whilst carrying another marble on your back. So it's like a universe inside of a universe, like a marble universe-ception kind of thing. Um, And I'm not really sure who the antagonist of the game is or who you are or where you're even meant to be, but there are some puzzles. And that's actually one of the things I really liked about the game. You're you're fully dropped into it with no explanation whatsoever. No context, no instructions. It's just like, here you are, off you go, figure it out, which I really enjoyed. And by the way, I think you can only get away with that if you're creating a conceptually very simple game. But the puzzles are incredibly satisfying to solve. The kind of puzzle game where when you when you finally get it, you're like, oh, that feels so good. Kind of reminded me of um, some of the puzzles in the Portal games, where when you find it, when it finally clicks in your head and you figure it out, it just like feels amazing. Uh, it also feels like a very open world that you're going through, when in fact looking back at it, it's very strictly linear, which I think is a really clever, um, really cleverly designed in that respect. It's not a very long game, but it's very beautiful, very satisfying game to spend an afternoon playing. So definitely check that out. Those few games there represent a drop in the ocean of indie games that released in 2023. Not all will have been as good, uh, but a lot of them will be up there. And I think that's just something I love about the video game world, to be honest, is just how many people are creating little passion projects. Um, It feels like the barrier to entry is just lower for video games because, you know, if you're just one person with the right set of skills, a great idea and some time on your hands, you can turn out something pretty decent without ever having to leave your house or, you know, spend much of your own money. And a lot of these little indie passion projects are really good with a good level of polish as well. Um, and don't feel they don't feel out of place being compared to some, you know, AAA releases. Filmmaking, on the other hand, just feels a little bit less accessible. I know people do make low budget movies and, and you know, independent movies, but, it, you know, it feels like it's servicing a, lo- a much smaller part of the market. I know that it's it's not necessarily easy for an independent studio to get their game on something like Steam, but it's orders of magnitude easier than it would be for an independent filmmaker, for example, to get their movie on something like Netflix. So that definitely helps a lot. It's a lot easier for an independent video game producer to start making money from their project, you know. 
I don't know for sure exactly what the solution is for the movie industry. Um, so I can't offer any sage advice, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some pretty big shifts in the industry in the coming years to kind of right the ship a little bit and uh, maybe put the focus back on good storytelling, like we did see with a number of films in 2023, but they don't exactly represent the majority of films that are being pumped out by the by Hollywood. But what do you think? Did you see or play any of the movies or games I mentioned in 2023? What were your highlights? Let me know by writing me a letter and sending it to me here at the North Pole. But that's it for now. I hope you tune back in for the next episode where we'll have a little look at some of the most exciting things coming in 2024. I'll see you then.